Welcome to the Organizing Ideas Podcast. I'm Allison. And I'm Karen, and we are two new librarians and archivists and your hosts for this podcast. Together, we're taking a closer look at the relationships between organizing information and community organizing, how libraries and archives are never neutral, and what we mean when we say that knowledge is power. We are recording on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. For our first episode of 2020, we're really excited to share this talk that we had with Sarah Dupont and Amy Perot, two amazing Métis librarians and information professionals. Sarah is the head of Huihua Library, and she was previously the Aboriginal Engagement Librarian at the University of British Columbia Library and the Program Manager Librarian at Indigitization. Amy is a Senior Strategist for Indigenous Initiatives at the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology, or CTLT for short, also at the University of British Columbia. She is also a co-developer and researcher for the educational resource What I Learned in Class Today, Aboriginal Issues in the Classroom, and she manages the development of Indigenous Foundations. Together, both Sarah and Amy have been coordinators for the First Nations Curriculum Concentration at the School of Library, Archival, and Information Studies program at UBC. They have also co-taught a graduate course at the iSchool at UBC called Information Practice and Protocol in Support of Indigenous Initiatives, which both Alice and I had the pleasure of taking in the fall of 2018. We're so glad to have you on the podcast and so nice to see you both again. Why don't we just start with a pretty broad question. Can you tell us a bit about what each of you do at UBC? Sure. Thanks so much, Allison. I'm Sarah DuPont. I am in a relatively new position as the new head of the Huihua Library. And in that role, I get to work with a fabulous team of people. And working with them has been the the primary priority for the first few months that I've been in the chair. We've been working a lot to get our collections um, really in, in good shape. And we are hiring a cataloger to help us with a backflow that we've had because the library gave us $70,000 for additional collections. So we spent that money and now we need to process the books. And so with that processing comes the enhancement, um, which is something special that we do at the Huihua Library. We have our own cataloging system. It is based on the Brian Deere classification system. That's for the, the way that the books are arranged on the shelves in an Indigenous way. And then we also describe our materials differently using subject headings, the First Nations House of Learning subject headings. So the enhancement work is done in-house at Huihua, and we're pretty well known for that work. It's pretty innovative. Uh, We're the only Aboriginal academic branch library in Canada that we know of. We're still claiming that title until we find out differently. We're also working really hard to find out how we can contribute to the Indigenous strategic plan and the library's new strategic framework that has a focus and a commitment to Indigenous initiatives. So finding our new vision, our new way of moving forward, while also reaching back to what we've learned from the past, really digging into our archives, learning about the original vision of the elders and talking to people about what that vision was so that we can make sure to honor that 
So that's a little bit about my work at Huihua Library. <laughs> yeah, that sounds incredible. <laughs> Are you liking the new job? You have a big smile on your face when you talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really, really fantastic um, way to move forward in my career. I'm, I'm really excited and honored to be in this position. I love the role. I love the team. I love what we do. And I love that we have such a broad scope. We get to work with students and faculty and staff on campus, but we also have a broader reaching community mandate. So it's an incredible job and it's an incredible time to be an Indigenous librarian. Thanks. Shall I go? Yeah. I'm Amy Perot. Well, I'm coming to you today wearing a couple of different hats, so maybe I'll speak about my full-time gig first. I've now just been promoted to Senior Strategist for Indigenous Initiatives, thank you, at the Centre for Teaching Learning Technology. I was seconded to that role about eight years ago, actually as a result of the first Indigenous Strategic Plan in 2009, I believe. And at that time, it was determined that teaching and learning at UBC needed a little bit of an improvement to support Indigenous students. Uh, faculty weren't necessarily being trained or having opportunities to engage in conversations where Indigenous curriculum was being brought into the classroom. And so my position was created as a result of a lot of heavy lifting that had been done even before the Indigenous Strategic Plan, so a lot of Indigenous uh, leaders on campus, um, educators, staff, elders had done a lot of heavy lifting uh, before I even got into my role, so I want to acknowledge that. And I've been there eight years, and so what we do now, so it, it always looks different every day, but I think my role is, it's rolling up what is happening in classrooms at UBC, where are the conversations at, what are the needs of faculty teaching Indigenous topics, what are the needs of Indigenous communities that UBC has relationships with? So kind of playing a liaison role between those two groups. I work with a fierce team of two other individuals at the moment, uh, Janie Liu, Dr. Janie Liu and Erin Yun. And we do a variety of different things, um, educational uh, resource development workshops, professional development workshops. Something that's new and exciting is we for a long time we've done staff training and development as well just because it didn't necessarily have a home at, at UBC. I think it was being done ad hoc largely by Indigenous people, Indigenous mm -hmm. staff on campus. So I'm excited to say that there will be a new position working with our team that's focusing on staff training and that's going to be a split position in HR. So that's a little bit about my full-time gig. Another exciting opportunity that's um, come my way this past year is I've taken on Sarah's old role as the First Nations <laughs> Curriculum Coordinator. So that makes my heart happy in so many ways, being a graduate of the iSchool and the First Nations Curriculum Concentration. And also, I was really wanting to stay connected with students. So this has let me do that in a really interesting way and continue thinking about curriculum in the iSchool, opportunities for FNCC students to engage in community outside of the university, and I'm still learning, I've just started in September, but I've continued to see this as a really great community to be part of, so I'm happy to be coming into that role. Stepping into big shoes, <laughs> but and, happy. And overflowing. <laughs> <laughs> That's me, sorry. Talked a lot, no, but it's like you. two different roles. <laughs> Both of you wear and have worn a lot of uh, different hats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, there's so many questions. Could you talk a little bit about the Indigenous Strategic Plan? I like for people who aren't really aware of what it is, and you mentioned like it went through like a few iterations. Well, the second Indigenous Strategic Plan is gone through numerous consultations. I just want to raise my hands up to the my colleagues at the First Nations House of Learning for facilitating a lot of those conversations. I have seen. I believe those gatherings facilitate different conversations on campus in a really great way. Just as a result of those consultations, we our team is being tapped to do consultations in other units and people are now thinking, what are we doing about faculty development? How are we aligning what we do with the TRC Calls to Action or UNDRIP? I know the TRC Calls to Action, the Murdered, Missing and Indigenous Women and Girls Report and UNDRIP are those those three things are are getting I don't know highlighted in the plan or or are rolled into the new plan and I think that's a really strategic decision a lot of that work was done by Dr. Cheryl Lightfoot Dr. Margaret Moss as well so I want to just raise my hands up to that fabulous work that's being done there I think it's you know when I first when there was a little bit of a delay in the new strategic plan coming out people were like well we can't start we don't have a new strategic plan but I'd like to I keep reminding people that this isn't our first strategic plan there's a really good blueprint or whatever for lack of a better word a plan that existed before and a lot of that work still go- carries on so there's always more work <laughs> to be done (laughs) than not so there's things you can do and I think there's been really good uh, modeling done for ways that that could be started in different units so that's the new strategic plan I'm really looking forward to it you know kind of coming out more publicly and being finalized I guess if you ever want to call a strategic plan finalized but as a way to give direction to people um, that might need it and muscle to those of us who are doing the work I guess yeah I'm curious how both of you got into librarianship and like how did you decide or know that you wanted to be a librarian and also like what does this work kind of mean to you? I'll start. Um, I didn't set out to be a librarian. I originally thought I was going to be a medical doctor because that's what you do when you are academically inclined in high school and you live in Prince George and you know that there's Uh, a huge gap in the community for physicians and I had a a community service mindset. Um, I noticed that there was a a deficit, if you will, of um, Indigenous doctors in the north. I'm from Prince George and so I thought um, it would be fantastic to be part of the the Northern Medical Program that is a UBC program and had an Aboriginal recruitment stream. So I was very interested in that. Um, But my very first job was shelving books in the public library. And I was 15 when I was hired at the Nechaco branch of the Prince George Public Library. And I didn't know it then, but having gone to library school since, I know that as a bookshelver in a small branch, you have the opportunity to do a lot more than just shelving books. So I was doing reference. I was doing programming. I was doing... Um, displays and helping out with collections displays as well so I was very very interested in that work but it was just a part-time job for me while I went to school and then I went to university and I was getting my degree and I realized that I was more inclined towards arts 
and humanities than I was in the sciences. So I made a decision that was a little bit scary because my parents were like, how are you going to, what type of a job does a degree in English literature lead to? <laughs> so there was about a year where I hadn't decided what my career path was going to look like. But at the time I was working at the university library, shelving books, and that was a very different collection. An academic collection has a different classification system. It was a bigger collection. We had a lot of um, books to reshelve. We had books to, books and journals to be scanning for um, ILL, so that's interlibrary loan. <laughs> for, for those who aren't uh, librarians, we use a lot of acronyms in our profession. <laughs> so helping out in the academic library also introduced me to the amazing staff and the librarians who were there. And one of the, the librarians, she said, you know, you've got a, a background here and at the public library, have you thought of librarianship? And I hadn't at the time, and she really encouraged me to do that. And I thought, well, am I still going to be providing a service as a Métis person? Am I still going to be able to do work that benefits Indigenous peoples? And I discovered along the way that, yes, um, there is a way to, to do work that, that is helpful for Indigenous students and Indigenous communities. As a student in the University of Alberta's program, their master's program, I had the opportunity to not only indigenize all of my, my coursework by just trying to um, find an indigenous research question to go along with my major paper, but I also had an opportunity to work with Dr. Lisa Given on a research project as her research assistant. And that was working with Dr. Frank Tuff, who's in the Native Studies department there. And we were working with a Métis community in Buffalo Narrows on a really interesting project. And we, we in the Library Sciences side, we were meant to be providing kind of like an information architecture lens through all the data that they were collecting and looking at the ethics of what it means to own data. And so exploring all of those topics was very interesting. And then I had a, a professional experience opportunity with uh, an oil and gas um, company's research and development library. And the librarian there, she is First Nations, and she was fabulous and really encouraged me in my, in my work. But at the time, there was a job posting for Edmonton Public Library that came up for their community librarian Aboriginal services job. And I said to her, oh, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if, you know, the timing was right? Because at the time I wasn't graduated, I still had four months to go, and she said, of course, this job is for you. You have to apply anyways and see what they say. So I did, and I got the job. And so for the first year and a half of my career, I was a public librarian, and I learned so much from, from the Edmonton community, and it was fabulous. And at the time, I didn't know it, but we were doing some pretty um, groundbreaking uh, programming and, and collections building and communications thinking that has persisted, um, those questions and challenges have persisted into my career here at UBC. Thinking about, you know, what visual imagery do you use to promote your programs? How do you talk about um, Indigenous programs and services? What words are perhaps offensive? And I got to work with an Aboriginal advisory committee, so that was a really amazing opportunity. I felt like I was really working for them, and I learned 
so, so much working for Edmonton Public Library. I could go on and on about <laughs> Edmonton Public Library. They are, I mean, I just want to lift my hands up to all the amazing people who, who had that vision to have community-led librarianship and also bringing social workers into the library. They were the first in Canada to hire social workers to help with people who needed those appropriate referrals that librarians aren't necessarily trained to do. So when I first arrived, I thought, oh my gosh, I got the wrong degree for the work that I needed to be doing. I should have had a social work degree for this work. So it was really great that they decided to, to hire those professionals and, and help them to help us as librarians learn how to be better service to the homeless community or people experiencing homelessness and who have formed a community. And a lot of those people um, at the time in Edmonton were Indigenous, and so there was a lot of crossover with my work. So I learned so much from the patrons and the people who came in and shared their stories and found the library um, a place of information and a place of compassion. So that's a little bit about, well, I guess I should say, then a posting came up for the Huiwa Library. <laughs> It was a one-year term, and I was, they were asking for five to eight years of experience, but I thought, oh, I'll just put my resume in and see what they say, and the rest is history. <laughs> Sarah had red hair when I first met her, when she first started. <laughs> I did. I had red hair. I remember when you first started, yes. and we had a meeting, and then I think was like, we're going to be friends. We're going to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited to meet Amy. <laughs> like as a Métis person like it's nice to find each other in the yeah. institution I know that's not the question you asked us but I just want to say that like it's really nice to find each other and yeah. raise each other up and support one another when we're here so I'm so glad I've known you for so long like what to hear your story <laughs> <laughs> my stories I don't know I'll tell a story um so my undergraduate work is in critical indigenous studies I graduated from the first nation studies program at UBC and I was just happy to graduate from university I was the first in my family to do so and so I thought this is it I'm done that was um so rewarding but had its challenges as well so I thought that's it I'm done and I'm just gonna you know continue to find work and do things and so I'd kind of just put like a time stamp or like a pause button on that part of my life and I, I'm, I'm kind of the person that I, I go to a place and where there's work I'll do the work and but the work has not stopped and I think that it's only increased indigenous uh, engagement within post-secondaries is it's increased and I think that's fantastic so then I was like okay well I might need some more um, more skills or I might need some you know more medicine to keep me going so to speak like just keeping me excite keeping me here and keeping me excited but also keeping me agile to the types of requests that are coming in so then I was talking to one of my mentors Dr. Link Kessler and I was like I'm thinking of grad school but I still like had one foot in like you know should I do it should I not do it is this a good idea am I ready and I was asking him what to, you know, thinking about different ideas of what what to go into. I, I wanted to main, kind of keep on this educational stream because it's what my passion is. It's where my heart is. And he gave me some really good advice. I remember I was giving him a ride home after a long day on campus. And he said, 
go to where you are going to be surrounded by people that are going to keep you in good company. You know, go to that space of learning or that further future work where you can see those people being future colleagues. And I kind of held that advice for a little while. I didn't act on it right away. I think the deadline for grad school had passed or it was soon passing. And then I was really thinking about that and I was reflecting back on just how fantastic the librarians were who were in my community and in my circle, particularly Indigenous librarians, really, um, really blessed here at UBC, you know, like Sarah and Kim Lawson and Dr. Lisa Nathan. And there's, it's a really rich circle <laughs> that I have been privileged to be part of. And so I really remembered Link's advice. And then I was like, I'm being called to this community. There's work to do and there's a place for me in it. So I think that's what brought me to the iSchool mm -hmm. at UBC and, and in FNCC. And to be honest, I have never I have never formally worked in a library, but I feel like there's roles for people who also bring skills around information organization, even teaching and learning, you know, like there is a teaching role to what we do. There is definitely that place for people like me in the circle. So I think that's what sparked me. And the more and more I'm part of it, the more I'm learning about the nuances of that and how that's the right fit for me. And yeah, so I'm very honored to still be in that like awesome circle of people here at UBC. We're so lucky that you do the work that you do because you act as a liaison, I feel, for, for librarians, for Indigenous mm -hmm. librarians between us and faculty. And you provide us with um, fora where we can gather and listen and hear about how faculty are engaging with indigenizing material and their struggles and challenges. And it gives us a way as librarians into their, their struggles and a way to insert possible Mm -hmm. um, resources for support as well so it's so important that you do the work that you do and I've learned so much from you over Likewise. the years <laughs> you touched on this a bit when you were saying like how meaningful it was to find each other and also in both of your stories like there were people who really supported you and both of you do that for a lot of Indigenous students and other students as well in the iSchool here at UBC. Can you talk about that, the role that you both play as mentors? <laughs> You're both really <laughs> humble, so <laughs> I'm like, how to make them talk about it. <laughs> but how you envision that work or yeah. what it means to you or, yeah. I guess um, the Longhouse teaching from Dr. Vince Stogan, the hands back, hands forward teaching is probably what grounds the way that I feel about my responsibility for um, sharing forward what I've been blessed to learn from the people who um, have taught me. So when I think about um, students in the iSchool, uh, First Nation students in, in any of our programs, I think about them as future colleagues and, and you both are, you know, going to be people and are people who are really leading the way in demonstrating what allyship to Indigenous peoples looks like in a professional way. And I think that that's an incredibly important piece moving forward because it can't all be done on the shoulders of Indigenous people. Um, there are just a few of us in Canada. The numbers are growing and recruitment 
of Aboriginal peoples to the profession of information studies is a big area of focus for um, the iSchool and, and for us personally. But in thinking about all the work that needs to be done, it's just exponentially growing as people shine a light into those corners and are starting to realize that there is a lot of staff development that's needed and we just can't do it all. So reaching back from the teachings that I've been given and then sharing them forward with students through professional development opportunities, through professional experience opportunities. Allison, you and I had a, a really cool opportunity to, to do one that was based in the Yukon and we got to travel together and learn from each other during that as well, I think. There was a lot of learning for me in that experience with the Yukon Native Language Center. Um, but really trying to provide spaces for students to apply what they're learning in the classroom because the the master's program it, it really is um, a fantastic way to approach ideas but it's when you apply them that you start to see the nuances and so I feel very strongly that um, providing as many opportunities for students working with Indigenous problems and with Indigenous peoples and ideally with Indigenous communities in a respectful and guided way is a really fabulous opportunity not only for the student but for us as they give back to the profession when they start to reach their hands forward as well. Mm -hmm. I would echo Sarah's um, acknowledgement of that longhouse teaching because I do carry that when I think about my work as well and I'm also thinking of a conversation with Kim Lawson uh, recently is talking about kind of this like anti-infrastructure in the institution <laughs> that's so imperfect, but still keep, you got to keep on going, right? And in some ways, if I can just be some sort of anti-infrastructure, so students coming in can be students and, and learn and, you know, try and have a good experience here. Um, while those systems get less imperfect, I feel like that's a role that I continue to play. I don't know if I would call myself a mentor. That's a pretty big <laughs> title, but um, maybe just like, you know, a part of an anti-infrastructure on our campus that looks after um, Indigenous students, but also allied students who are negotiating these imperfect systems and, um, you know, like just... Uh, continuing to brew pots of coffee or tea when necessary, providing chocolate as sustenance <laughs> for critical questions, um, taking walks, uh, creating space. Those are things that I think I, I will continue to step up and do because I've been so lucky. Like I said, the reason I got into doing this work was because someone provided that infrastructure for me. I remember coming to Huiwa Library as an undergraduate student trying to do research um, on women and the fur trade or something like that and and not coming up with answers but like the point that I didn't come up with answers was the point and you know like that was met with just like a warm support and a prompt to ex keep going keep going explore further it doesn't exist yet but why here's some things you can do to like spark that fire, keep going. You know, I think that that's so important and I hope to keep playing that role as the FNCC coordinator and, and repair systems or just create new systems that need to be different for the students that are here and the type of work that we need to do. That's what I'm hoping to do. 
That is, that is. Well, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> we yes. will keep going. Yes. <laughs> Forging new paths. It was yeah. a big part of, I think, the work that both of us do. And mm-hmm. yeah. it can be tough sometimes, though. Yeah. It can be really tough, you know, when you're, when you're um, trying to mentor other people, but also finding it difficult yourself in the profession and navigating the structures that we don't necessarily feel are the best fit for our work. Um, it can be, it can be challenging. So yeah, it, it's a, a lot to balance at times. That's mm-hmm. why elders are so important. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I honestly like reach out to my elders uh, when my heart is heavy, when I leave campus, when those systems are still in imperfect and they're weighing heavy on my shoulders I Mm -hmm. turn to my elders and I get a lot of strength from just like they've been here for a while and seen Mm -hmm. some stuff and can provide a little bit of a different context to what I think Mm -hmm. I'm bumping up against and seeing nothing just seeing a wall and so I just want to say that yeah that's been really helpful Mm -hmm. for me and I can't say enough about how important elders are in this whole infrastructure, process, community of the work that we do. And the students as well. Mm -hmm. The students bring an energy that revitalizes um, when they are doing amazing work and they come together and they create community in spaces, uh, especially when they're doing things like beading or making Mm -hmm. regalia in the longhouse. There's been a real spark of that, especially recently under under Margaret Moss's um, leadership. It just feels like a whole new community of energy we have the collegium now which is a new initiative and the students are there and i really do draw from that energy as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you all were fantastic <laughs> yeah <your> students. <laughs> i don't know if i'm allowed well, to well you say guys that. put a lot of structure in place i think to help grow that community like that was my experience of the fncc space like the teas that you hold held hold, still hold and um and then the events and things like that to like help us grow that because it's hard when you're you know new to a space and you don't know anybody and mm-hmm. you're overwhelmed and have too much homework yeah. <laughs> poor Karen has one more paper to you <laughs> okay. but yeah I mean you, you two really created that space so thank you I think you both really touched on community as well. We talked about it mostly with, with Jorge, who teaches at the iSchool as well. He teaches the community-led library work, and we talked with Evie Trong. Can you, and and you, you talked, you know, just before about really centering relationships with your elders and with, with students. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that, especially in an academic setting? Sarah, I know we've spoken in the past about like the differences between community-led work when you were at Edmonton in a public yeah. library compared to in a university, and we've mostly talked about it with public yes. focus, so I'm curious, I don't know, what's it like here for you to do that work? How's it different? Or... Jorge has also mentioned like how it's different for everyone too, and so yeah. it's really interesting to hear how it is for other people. Yeah. In an academic library like UBC Library, um, it, it really does depend a lot on both the mandate of the library, the scope of what your community is currently mm-hmm. defined as. And sometimes it feels like a moving target mm-hmm. with different changes in leadership and different priorities. And it also depends heavily on the commitment of the leaders and the, the leadership. 
So the community work that I do here at UBC, it, it definitely feels very different. We are engaging with First Nations through their governance structures and Aboriginal organizations, um, primarily through a, a grant program that we've been administering since 2013, and that's the Indigitization Program. And Allison, you worked uh, with me on that program for a while. You were fabulous. <laughs> so that work um, has a lot of faces, but I think the one that I want to focus on is kind of related back to that hands-back, hands-forward teaching from, from Elder Vince Stogan. And it's about sharing the knowledge and the resources that we have here at the university with community and how that can help create a level of capacity for information pr practices that are best suited to a First Nations community and is not dictated by the profession. I think that's really important. So there's a lot of teachings in, in our profession about this is how you should do it, these are the best practices, and it's very structured and regimented because that's what librarians and archivists <laughs> typically like to uh, do, although I think we're kind of moving into a more social justice-focused teaching model in certain areas, <laughs> but there's still a lot of work to do to kind of figure out how to destructure <laughs> our work and respond to actual needs in communities, and especially when it when they don't match with what we're, we're hearing in, in school and in the profession. So the indigitization program has been a bit of a leader in that regard, really trying to promote um, the value that Indigenous peoples bring to the profession with their different ways of talking about and organizing knowledge, um, how, uh, how they care for their knowledge um, in different ways, and each community takes different approaches. But also, each nation is at a different stage in recovering from a lot of the colonial harms that have been done through generations, through 200 years of assaults to culture, and recovering from that is a lot of work and it's not appropriate for universities to expect every community to be at the same level as each other but also in a in a way that they can engage with the university in a way that we might want them to so i find phone calls are still really really effective in communicating and building that relationship from a distance it's really hard to do this work from a distance, but as the University of British Columbia and with the funding from the Irving K. Barber Learning Centre, our mandate really is, at least for indigitization, focused on British Columbia. But we've been fortunate to be able to spread the model of our work, uh, both nationally and internationally. And so people are really picking up on how we teach practices around media management, digitization, I've been fortunate to work with an amazing steering committee of people, Jerry Lawson, Dr. Lisa Nathan, Alyssa Cherry, Anne Stevenson, although she's, she's retired now, um, uh, Michael Wynn from Washington State University, and the Mukatu uh, Project. He's with us for, for a time being, which is really fabulous. Um, and Gordon Yusko, who's also not with us anymore. But working together as a team, we really grew in digitization from a grassroots 
model into something that um, I think has a lot to offer communities. But we are now at the point where we can't actually respond to the demand. Mm -hmm. People are really hungry to learn how to do this work. And so I would just encourage um, all librarians, archivists, records managers to think about their practices and how they can offer service in a respectful way to people who are ready to have that conversation. I don't know. Amy, what do you yes, think about so working, <laughs> working with community? <laughs> Your work's different than mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's central to what we do. It's central to what we do, and we build it into our processes of what we do in a very intentional way. You know, a long time ago when I first started working at UBC, I was working in the First Nation Studies program, and I think it was Tanya Bob. We were, um, she was my uh, supervisor, and we're still really good friends, but she's like, the work doesn't happen at your desk. And I think that advice of, you know, you've, you've got to be in different places to be part of conversations and hear the needs of people in different ways. It's mm -hmm. not going to always come to you. And I think that's the biggest barrier for people. So mm -hmm. even reaching out by phone or one of the blessings when the technology breaks down at UBC, everyone's like, what do we do? I can't check my email. <laughs> I'm like, I just put on my code and I start walking around and I visit people. <laughs> and mm -hmm. You know, especially for busy people, you're like, hey, you remember that thing? <laughs> um, you bring coffee or you, you, know, you just walk by and check on how people are doing. And I think work with community in that way is you're, you're present without a need. You're present because you're present and you're not coming because you need something from them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. So building in community work outside of a project or outside of a needed something is so important and it takes time and it's good time and it's uh, meaningful meaningful time spent and but that isn't always acknowledged in academia mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of resisting against or just kind of acknowledging the value that that brings to your work relationality and reciprocity in that way is so huge that are those two things are part of our values in the work that, that we do in Indigenous initiatives and it's a it's a story that Elder Larry Grant has shared with us in our work around humlesome I think we might have shown that video in, our, in the class but just kind of reciprocating and not hoarding resources or your time in that way. And I think in academia, particularly in post-secondary, it's very much an individualistic collection of resources and things for individualistic outputs. And so I've been trying to do a lot of work that pushes back against that. And what is the community's interest? How does this benefit the communities you're working with? who has the ownership of the stories and the information? Is there an equal division of labor between Indigenous, non-Indigenous people on this project? These are all things that need consideration and the way that things have been structured so far, it hasn't been like that, but mm -hmm. it's just kind of rewriting the script or rebuilding the infrastructure, so to speak, in a way where it centers communities and their needs and their values in a different way than the institution has been historically structured. So for me, that's the ongoing work of continuing to ask those questions and continuing to be present when invited um, and stepping back when needed, you know, kind of being attuned to that. And being, and being real. Um, I think there's a lot of communication barriers between 
academia and community members. And I think one thing that indigitization has tried really hard to do is to be authentic and in that way communicating with communities using real language, translating the language of yes. academia into a way that is um, understandable, um, digestible, and um, reduces that barrier of access for communities. So I think that's really important to remember that we need to um, encourage our colleagues to humble themselves, and that includes in their language, mm -hmm. <laughs> in their writing in particular. Definitely. And there are guides to do that. Yeah, there <laughs> are created. There's resources out there. So it's always, <laughs> it's referring colleagues to resources that exist. But then also, I was thinking about that this morning as I was like preparing, kind of pre mentally preparing my words for the podcast. And it's like the role is a lot of just supporting people to feel that they have agency to speak up and be part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that's the role mm -hmm. that I play. And I think that as like a Métis person, we are in our DNA and our in our <laughs> in our upbringing and our values and our teachings from our families is we are in this navigation role naturally navigation yeah. resistance rebellion maybe <laughs> <laughs> but this is part of my, who I am yeah and it's it, I think it's why I was called to do this work um, and, and I finding yeah. the relevance Finding the relevance and the, the benefits and, and negotiating for both parties sometimes is, again, a, a very Métis role. Yeah. Yeah. But so well putting. Yeah. <laughs> we want to be mindful of your time. And we haven't yet talked about the, the class that we took with you, which was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> But we can link people to some of the resources from the class and some of the stuff that you've put together at WIWA and through CTLT and, and so forth so that people who are interested can learn more. But is there anything else we haven't touched on that you want to speak to before we wrap up? There's so much. <laughs> There's so much that we can We can do a part two one. Yeah. I just remember that when we were, we, were we took the course model from Dr. Lisa Nathan, who generously mm -hmm. gave us the course. And I just remember sitting down with you, Amy, and, and trying to plan out, you know, all of the guest speakers and all of the readings and all of the films. And, you know, it became kind of like a, oh my goodness, we are too blessed. <laughs> and we actually had to, you know, kind of reduce um, and... It was hard to fit it all in, and it, it felt like every week could have been its own course because they were all different themes. But I think what I remember um, students really gravitating towards was the foundation building around understanding legal structures that Indigenous people in Canada are subject to still mm -hmm. and have to work within. And I think um, the Indigenous foundations... Uh, website and, and the resources that you've put together, Amy, with all of the people who contributed, that's been such a key um, resource for so many people, but also for our class in trying to navigate, you know, why are things the way they are? And I think that's important to understand and going further without having a basis of that knowledge is going to be difficult if people really want to understand um, and find out how they are going to proceed on their 
journeys of reconciliation. I think that's a, a key first step in understanding. Mm-hmm. I maybe want to just end with like a like a. Uh an acknowledgement of your work and podcast too, because I think it's the modality of the message. It's the, it's, it's, I've seen it have a lot of really great impact. And so, yeah, just thinking about podcasts as getting, you know, sharing mm-hmm. some of our words mm-hmm. and maybe our experiences as Métis information <laughs> professionals. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you've seen that, have impact from your podcast. I shared your podcast with oh. colleagues. So <laughs> thank you. you. And thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit about what we do. If people want to learn more about you otherwise, where would you point people who want to learn more? For for me and the Huihua Library, um, Huihua Library is on Facebook and Twitter, as well as the Indigitization Program. We do a lot of work through the Twitter um, channel that we have. Actually, Allison really got us going on on Twitter. Um, So there's a lot of dialogue there that's kind of more of an academic nature around the issues of policy development and just what it means to do this work. So I would encourage people to follow at Indigitization. Um, You can reach me at at Dupont Sarah on Twitter and also uh, by email. Sarah.dupont at ubc.ca. And the Huiho Library website is a fantastic resource uh, if you want to learn more about our history, our classification, our research subject guides. We have a lot of resources there. I try to be on Twitter, but fail. So I think the best way to run. Probably, I think, well, I think to kind of learn a little bit about. Indigenous Initiatives is the Indigenous Initiatives website at the Centre for Teaching Learning Technology. Uh, A lot of our resources and workshops and our approaches and my contact information is on there. So if people are interested in that, if you are in the FNCC, come to our teas Wednesdays at noon. And uh, there's a lot of professional experience opportunities uh, coming up. So connect, please come have some tea, learn, share. I'd love to meet you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. We can be found on Twitter at OrganizingPod. That's organizing with a Z and not an S. Our email is OrganizingIdeasPod at gmail.com. And our website is OrganizingIdeasPod.wordpress.com, where you can also find links to transcripts of the episodes and any links to things that we mention. Um, A big special thank you to Victoria Gomez for helping out with the transcription for this episode. Bye. Thank you.